Hi, good morning. My name's Mike, and I'm the minister of a church here. Let's pray, shall we, as we come to God's Word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, would you, in the power of the Spirit, conform us to the likeness of your Son. Do so through your Word, particularly within our homes. Help us see what it looks like to work out our faith in Christ amongst those we are living with and love the most. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Well, look, if you've got a... It's perhaps easier with a paper copy of the Bible. Just grab your Bible, will you, for a moment. We're in chapter 6 of Ephesians, aren't we? If you remember, we said uh, when we started this series in the book of Ephesians that um, at chapters 1, 2, and 3 are more doctrinal. Here is the Lord your God. This is what he has done. Here is the church that he has made in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then from chapter 4, you'll have spotted it if you've been paying careful attention, the tone shifts from, from who God is and what, what he has done in the Lord Jesus Christ to, okay, now how we, should we live in light of all of this? And uh, again, if you're following, if you're here week by week, you'll have seen, or you certainly will this morning as well, that whilst you might start in kind of general terms in chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5, from last week and uh, this week put together, the Apostle Paul, it's as if he he steps into the the Roman household that the believers in Ephesus would have lived within, and he goes room by room, relationship by relationship, and shows how everything changes because of their newfound faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so chapter 5, verses uh, 22, 23, 24, 24. We looked at those verses last week, didn't we? We, we saw how Paul starts with husbands and wives, and I guess that kind of makes a logical sense. As, as a couple marry, they form a new family unit, a new home begins. It makes sense to start there. Here in chapter 6, we're going to look at this this morning, Paul now points to the two other elements which were common in most homes, your average Roman home in Ephesus. Uh, first of all, there's uh, children, verses 1 and 2 and 3 and 4. And then the household servants or slaves, we'll talk a bit more about that as we go through. From marriage to parenting to how you treat the cleaning lady if you're rich enough to have one. Paul says how you work out your faith really matters in all these relationships. It's interesting almost to kind of step back and think, okay, why? Why this huge emphasis? Just six chapters, that's how long the whole letter is, and so much space is given over to the household, family life. Why not political life, or public life, or social life? And I wonder if the answer is that home life is where the Christian faith must be worked out first. That's the foundation that public life and social life, political life, all other kind of more public stuff is built. And home life is important because it's the most hidden part of life. You can fake being a Christian in public, even in church for a little while at least. You can't really at home, can you? Ten seconds and the kids will see through you. 
it's at home where the facade drops, where we see where the faith in Jesus Christ is real. We'll come back to that thought later. Let's uh, dive into chapter 6. We're going to just go through in the order in which Paul uh, addresses uh, folks. I hope you can see that. First of all, it's children, verses uh, 1 to 3. We're going to ask who, what, why, as we think about children and go through the first few verses. Who is answered in the first word, isn't it, children? We can be a bit more specific in Greek. There are a few different words for children. Some are for young children in particular, and that's the word that Paul uses. The ESV in 1 John 2 translates it little children. We're thinking of children who are in the home under the care of their parents. Uh, That's significant because we come to the what. What must they do? Well, verse 1, they must obey their parents in the Lord. And then verse 2, Paul cites the commandment, doesn't he? Honour your father and mother. What does it mean for small children, for young children who are at home under the care of their parents, what does it mean for them to honour their parents? Well, the Apostle Paul says it it means to obey them in the Lord. That's how honouring is worked out. Honouring is a kind of lifelong principle, but the way we honour changes as we get older. As you grow up and leave home, you honour parents, the Bible says, by respecting them. We listen to their advice, we learn from their wisdom. But their word isn't law in quite the way it was when you were at home and a young child. In later life, we honour parents, the Bible shows us, as we care for them. But all of that's for another sermon. For now, it's children at home still living off the bank of mum and dad that Paul has in mind. And to honour them, says Paul, is to obey them. We ought to acknowledge, shouldn't we, right off the bat, that's, that's hugely challenging. Just at times, you could be the best parents in the world. Your kids could be the most compliant kids in the world. And still, at times, there'll be a challenge, there'll be a pushback. Helping to see, helping your kids to see that obedience to you is a good thing. It's a God-given, beautiful thing that's to characterize family life. That's a challenge at times. That takes patience and prayer and love and forgiveness and gentleness. But even the best children push boundaries, don't they? Uh, when I was a, a young pastor of a church in Derby, uh, we had a, a free Saturday. We took our kids to see the Bart Simpson film. We thought that would be a good use of our time, a bit of fun watching a cartoon together. Uh, uh, midway through the film, uh, Bart jumps on his skateboard, unbeknownst to us, takes off his trousers and shouts, Hallelujah, I'm a nudie. All very funny. Until we came to church the following Sunday and we sang Hallelujah in our songs And our boys from the back chimed out, I'm a nudie. Oh, Lord, give me strength. The best kids in the world are going to push boundaries. It's a challenge. Uh, Verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord. It's worth noting that both parents are talked of there, isn't it? That's not the case when we come to verse 4, but we'll think about that later. I take it that if children are to obey both of their parents, that means the parents will have talked. They'll they'll have talked through what the house rules are, what 
what as Christians, what they feel is acceptable within the family, what, what would cross the line. The, the parents must have talked about what the consequences will be, what punishment will be meted out for, for disobedience, what rewards will be if that's the case for, for obedience. It's funny, it's a very short passage, isn't it? I, I take from that, God grants us enormous freedom as to the kind of style of parenting we adopt. But if children are to obey their parents, then presumably parents must come to their work with a similar mindset. They must be able to speak to their children with a common voice. There's no place for the youngest daughter then to twist her father around her finger and play her parents off against one another. No, they must stand as one. Uh, Who? Young children. What? Obedience. Why is our third question as we think of kids? And Paul gives us two answers to the, to the question. The first, uh, verse 1, is a simple answer. This is right. Obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right, verse 1. This is the way that God has created and ordained family life to be. This is his will for the family. Okay, fine. That's straightforward, isn't it? Uh, Paul gives a second reason in verse 3, and for this he Uh, Well, he makes his point by adapting the fifth commandment. If you read the commandments back in the book of Exodus, you'll you'll perhaps remember the commandment ends, uh, honour your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. Here, in the New Testament, Paul adapts it to speak of so that you may enjoy long life on the earth. I take it there's a kind of proverbial sense here. There's not a hard and fast rule if you obey your parents when you are little you're going to live to your 99 i'm not sure it's quite so simple perhaps we're to take from this something more akin to obedient children lead to a more stress-free home which can only benefit long life for the whole family I can't speak to the children directly in the sermon perhaps we should have had impact in with us this week rather than last Incidentally, it's verses like this that some churches use to say, no, the whole family should be in for the whole part of the service. Sunday school should be something separate, but that's another sermon. I can't ask your children directly. I'll have to ask you parents with young children. Are your children obedient? Is your home calmer because they see that one of the ways they express their faith in Christ, one of the features of a Christian family home is that they must listen to you and obey you. Uh, Paul will speak to parents next. But here God's word is for the child themselves. Children, as part of a Christian family, obey your parents. Well, let's come next then to parents in verse 4. And already, if you're eagle-eyed and and watching closely you'll note that my heading doesn't quite match the opening of verse four does it Uh, fathers that's how paul begins not parents Uh, i want to include both parents uh, for a couple of reasons firstly it's becoming more and more common for uh, children to grow up in a one-parent family and more often than not that's uh, uh, um, a mum who's around not a father And therefore, mothers, in the absence of the father, they must be the ones to disciple the children in faith. We'll think a bit more about that. Secondly, even in a two-parent home, both parents will participate in this task of of discipleship, of shepherding our children. 
That said, we ought to ask the question, why does Paul, verse 4, directly address fathers, particularly? And I think the answer links back to our sermon last week, as the husband ought to lead his wife in her spiritual growth, so it follows, if they're blessed with children, the husband, now the father, should lead his children in spiritual growth too. That is, Christian fathers are to be chiefly responsible for the spiritual growth of everyone in the home, especially, verse 4 here, children. Uh, Paul gives a uh, rest of verse 4, you can see he gives a positive and a negative command to fathers. We'll do the positive first. Uh, Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. There you go, fathers, that's what you must do. That is, fathers, you're responsible not just to raise your children to be fine, upstanding men and women, but to be mature followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your job, your God-given role. You must ensure that your children are, or how does he put it, trained and instructed. Instructed, I guess that means you're going to open the Bible with them. Trained, I suspect that's more about putting into practice what they've learned. Perhaps you're going to show them by example what living as a Christian will look like. Perhaps you'll do that in cooperation with them. And so you'll shape their understanding of what it is to know and follow Jesus. Your children's knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's really important. You must teach them. But they must see that with that knowledge comes a need to obey the Lord Jesus as Lord as well as Saviour. You must train them in this. If only the sermon ended there for fathers, but it doesn't. Look, I want to say it's a really important role, isn't it? And I think over the last few decades, it's one perhaps fathers in particular have neglected at times. Can I say to you uh, guys with young children at home, this is way more important than building a career... If you can't be at home to read the Bible with your wife and your kids, then change your job. This is more important. This is more important. Not just more important than building a career, it's more important than leisure. If, it, if it's a round of golf, or nipping to the shops to do some shopping for that older lady in your home group who can't get out and about, well, stuff the golf. Go shopping. Take your children too. Explain to the kids what you're doing. Get them to write a card for the lady. Bring them with you as you take it round to the lady's house so they can see your Christian faith in action. Fathers, caring for your wife and for your children in the Lord, I want to say that's your number one responsibility. Everything else must be built off that. If that goes wrong, everything else crumbles. That's especially emphasised for potential leaders in the church, isn't it? You know these verses, I suspect. 1 Timothy 3, uh, the father must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone doesn't know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? It's the thing that we look for in potential leaders in the church. Uh, the negative command, we haven't talked about that. Your negative one is interesting. Do not exasperate your children. That's a good challenge, isn't it? 
Uh, The parallel passage in Colossians 3, you perhaps know Ephesians and Colossians have much in common, but that's, again, for another time. Colossians 3, the parallel passage has this. Do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Okay, that's good. That's good for us parents to know. I take it that concerns the way in which we as fathers and mothers go about our training and instruction of the children in the Lord. When it comes to well, things like Bible times or, or family prayer times over breakfast or coming to services on a Sunday. Look, as a father, you could appeal to your position. You will read this because I tell you to. You will come on a Sunday because you must obey me. Ooh. You know that honey catches more flies than vinegar. That's not going to breed happiness. Fathers, look, Bible stories can be acted out, can't they? Your kids can be, can be David and Goliath and whack one another on the bed and collapse. They'll love it. My boys did. Pictures of parables can be coloured in. Songs can be sung to learn the names of the kings of Israel. Training and instruction don't have to be dull and repetitive. It doesn't have to be a chore. We mustn't communicate that to our kids. Training and instruction can be filled with love and creativity, can't it? I once heard an older pastor say, every young man ought to help out in Sunday school so they know when they get married and have kids, they know how to read the Bible to young children. I think that's really wise. If you're not sure, if it feels daunting, do that. Just go and help and volunteer and watch the people who know how to do it well and then copy them. Uh, I've always thought the great uh, reformer, John Calvin, could be a a little fearsome. I do like reading him, but he frightens me slightly. I thought it would be really interesting to see what he said about this verse, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Uh, It it was brilliant. Here's what he wrote. Kind and liberal treatment has a tendency to cherish reverence in children for their parents and to increase the cheerfulness and activity of their obedience, while a harsh and unkind manner rouses them to obstinacy and destroys the natural affections. Even Calvin's for Be kind, make it fun. Be lenient and kind. Before we move on, let me just say, I'm aware that fathers, 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 let me just say thank you to you mothers who have stepped into the breach when dads have failed in their responsibilities. That's not uncommon in my experience. Many of you mums have done what needed to be done for the sake of your children when it was clear your husbands weren't going to make discipling the kids a priority. I'm really sorry that that was the case, but I want to say we rejoice in your love and faithfulness where you have stepped into the breach. That said, fathers... Fathers, bring your children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Let's move on. Slaves or servants, verses 5 to 8. We'll go a little bit more quickly here, in large part because very few of us have slaves working for us. I mentioned at the beginning the Apostle Paul isn't broadening his teaching out now to talk about the the workplace. We're still in the Roman household there in modern-day Turkey in Ephesus, that Roman outpost. 
following the Lord Jesus Christ, says Paul, doesn't just transform our marriages. It doesn't just transform our parenting. It transforms the way we relate to everybody in the household, including the servants, or the bond servants, or the slaves, depending on how you translate that particular word. Some servants in the Roman household would have had quite menial roles, cooking and cleaning. Others in the Roman world would have been entrusted with an enormous amount of responsibility, teaching the children and managing large budgets. Think Joseph uh, back in Genesis 39 and the responsibility he was given. Uh, Paul's instructions, though, for the servants, whatever their role... Verse 5, to obey their masters as they would obey Christ. That's amazing, isn't it? There's a transformation. And to do so when unseen as well as when watched, verse 6. And far from a detached and resentful service, because of their newfound faith in Christ, these servants were to work, verse 7, look at that word, wholeheartedly. And they do so knowing that their reward would be from Christ because of their obedience to him, not from, excuse me, their master, verse 8. Now look, it's a complex issue, isn't it? What should we make of, of slavery where we find it in the Bible? I will note that the Apostle Paul elsewhere implores slaves to get their freedom if they can. You can find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But if they remain within the household by choice or or because there is no choice, freedom just wasn't a possibility, then Paul is clear. Christian servants were to work out their faith in Christ in the way that they treated their masters. Uh, Which brings us to uh, masters and verse 9. If such is required of slaves, how much more the masters then? To the head of the household, Paul writes that they are to, at verse 9, treat your slaves in the same way. What way is that? Well, it's the way of Christ, I think. Servants were to work knowing that, that what they did was really in service of, well, not their master on earth, but their Lord and master, the Lord Jesus in heaven. And so the masters were to lead, following the example of the Lord Jesus himself. Paul specifies chiefly this means, verse 9, that they'll restrain from threatening their servants. What's really, really important, and I I want you to see this, is the reason he gives for masters not to threaten their servants. Verse 9, you mustn't do that because of the equality of value master and servant share. Here's how he puts it, verse 9. You know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. I mentioned before that Paul elsewhere encourages servants to seek their freedom. I want to suggest, too, that this instruction to the masters is brilliant because it sows the seeds of change. What's the basis of this Christian conduct between masters and their servants, well, it's that there is no favoritism, verse 9, with God. He is is Lord of both the master and the servant alike. When the slave trade and this this kind of societal model of bond servanthood, when that finally came to an end, you know, don't you, as Phil helped us see, it was Christians who were at the forefront 
and our campaign for the abolition of slavery involved, well, in part, a, a coin. Oh, here we go. Uh, 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 which was a brilliant kind of PR campaign, uh, and on the coin was written, am I not a man and a brother? It was kind of drawn from verses just like this. I've got, a, I've got one. It's not an original, they're about 400 quid, but it's a good replica, and you're very welcome to come and have a look at it later if you'd like to. Equality before God, that's the basis of Paul's teaching here in Ephesians 6, And it became the cornerstone of the movement which would end slavery, or at least the slave trade as we experienced it, all those years later. All of that said, we ought to ask, verses 5 to 9, what should we, here in the West, what should we take away from from that today? What should we at Rock do as a consequence of what we've read? Well, that's a challenging question to answer. Here's my best shot. That there are hierarchical structures built into the home by God and more widely in society. How we live within those structures, perhaps more particularly how we treat people above us and below us in those structures in terms of authority, that's a key expression of our Christian faith. That's the point at which I think we can talk about the workplace as a kind of an application of this. Uh, Where we're responsible for a group of people as Christians, we are to treat them in a way which is appropriate to our faith in Christ. We treat them in a way which reflects the truth that we are ultimately equals. Jesus Christ is their maker and mine. He's their judge and mine. I'm not more important or more special than those below me on the the hierarchy on the chain there is no favoritism with god and so for a for a manager let's say a christian manager verse nine what one of the key expressions of my faith will never to threaten my subordinates there's no place for dominating bullying threatening type of management that has no place not in the christian home not in the office for the Christian manager either. Likewise, as, a, as an employee, as a Christian employee, I'm to do as my line manager asks of me, not only, verse 6, when their eye is on me, but when it's not. Because, verse 7, if I can paraphrase, I must act as if I were an employee of Christ Jesus himself. Well, let's return to our uh, opening thought. Paul is convinced that coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ changes everything for the new believer, and that change starts at home. That's where faith is worked out. That's where faith is tested as being genuine or fake. And therein lies the challenge for us, I think, this morning. I've heard it in the past likened to a a kind of lighthouse. It's very easy for a lighthouse to show its light to those far off very hard for a lighthouse with an enormous bulb up high to point its light to those who are standing close by the base and so with our faith in christ it's very easy to look good to those who are far off those who we see infrequently it's easy to make a show much more challenging for for those who see us day in day out at home 
You can't fake it with them, can you? Can I ask then, is your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, is it more than empty words? Is it real, transforming faith in Jesus? Is your faith in Jesus genuine and authentic? Well, Paul says your spouse will know the answer to that. Your, your kids will know the answer. Your cleaning lady, if you're lucky enough to have one, she'll know the answer. Even your colleagues at work will know the answer about whether or not your faith is real. Because your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if genuine, must shape, must transform every relationship you have, starting in the home. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray. Uh, Father, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our weakness. Forgive us our mistakes. Forgive us those times when we have uh, put ourselves before the needs of others, especially within our homes. Forgive us when we have not loved our spouse when we should. We've not cared for our children with kindness and patience. Forgive us when, whether it's uh, uh, folks coming into our homes that we've treated unkindly or, or in our workplaces. Father, forgive us. We confess where we, we confess we make all kinds of mistakes. We, we claim the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and know that it's only in him we can be forgiven, only in him that we can be called righteous. But we want to pray more than that, more than simply forgiveness. By the power of your spirit, transform us. Give us grace that we would love our spouses as we should, that we would raise our children as you have shown us to in the scriptures, that the way we treat all people would bear testimony first and foremost to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do this for the good of those around us. Do this for the glory of our Saviour. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.